This is a 980 CKNW podcast. You're live with the App Show. Mike Graham and Christina here in studio. We've got a fun-filled app show for you. We're uh, going to be talking uh, with Igor Bonifacic from Mobile Syrup later on the program about some hot new Android phones, the uh, OnePlus 7 and the new Google Pixel 3a. So uh, if you've been interested in the Pixel 3 because of its fantastic camera, now you can get uh, a model that has a cheaper price. Now, now is this like 3a as in like the letter A or is it like the Canadian version, like the 3a? The Fonzie. Fonzie I call, version, I call yeah. it the Fonzie. 3a. 3a. Okay. Uh, and we'll also uh, be chatting about the Oscars. When it comes to movies, uh, I don't know. Remember back a couple months ago, Steven Spielberg got all snotty about uh, uh, streaming movies. Uh, you know, Netflix producing these movies, paying for them, uh, and then only putting them in the theater for a week just so they can qualify to yep. be in the Oscars. They're not real movies. That's what Steven Spielberg sounds like. I know. I know it's crazy. We'll be talking uh, with uh, Byron uh, Massey over uh, at Mobile Syrup as well. Uh, he's got some thoughts on that and uh, some updates to that story uh, as well and where that might all be going. Cool. Uh, let's talk about some app news now, though. This was kind of an interesting one, a uh, story from The Guardian uh, over in the UK. Facebook could have 4.9 billion dead users by 2100. You know, I've read a lot of comments on a lot of CBC stories, and I feel like they've already got that. But um boom Thank you. But um boom uh, And so... Even uh, if uh, Facebook's growth stopped entirely uh, last year, the study finds that Facebook would look, be looking at about 1.4 billion dead members by 2100. Uh, by 20, uh, 2070, in that scenario, the dead would already outnumber the living. <laughs> so, so this is the thing is they're basically looking at it and saying pretty much all of you that are on Facebook right now, I know, shocker, will probably be dead by 2100. So <laughs> was this really some, some, like me, so, sooner than others. <laughs> So the question here is, like, what do we do with these profiles? And obviously they have their in memoriam, right, where, you know, when somebody does pass away, you can get in contact with Facebook and let them know that the page should be essentially archived. Um, do we do we want to do anything other than that? Is that? I mean, I think this is okay, being able to have your place on Facebook memorialized and not go anywhere. Did you Would you want your data deleted? I don't know. It's interesting. So listen to this. Uh, in an interview with The Observer, this is in the Guardian article, uh, the psychologist Elaine Casket said that when family member members seek access to a deceased relative's data, Facebook offers, uh, in quotations, something along the lines of, we'd love to be able to help you with this, but we're not able to. Uh, they say they are protecting the rights of privacy of the deceased. So if your mother died, I guess, or your brother or sister, uh, it might be difficult to access that hmm. profile Can't you or delete actually it. designate a delegate on Facebook for this express yes. purpose? Yes. You can, yes. And there's also, there are dead man switches. So I've, I've got one set up, right? So in the event that I don't check in after a certain amount of time, a select group of my loved ones will get an email message with, you know, access to my bank accounts, passwords, a copy of my will, and... You know, if things go sideways, they get all of access to all of this stuff. My my Bitcoin passwords, right? Christine and I are looking at each other, and we're like, "You thinking what I'm thinking?" <laughs> <laughs> you're not on the list, guys. I love you both, but Aww. you're not on that list. Oh, come on. I am definitely on that list. <laughs> nice try, though. Yeah, but it's interesting. I mean, there will literally be billions of Facebook profiles that are for dead people. Billions. Yeah. So basically, Facebook at this point would become a digital online graveyard. 
Do we need? Do we need to have like cordon? That is a massive archive of human culture. Isn't it already? <laughs> oh, says the millennial. Oh, says the person who wants nothing to do with Facebook these days. Well, so here's the interesting thing. Now, I've kind of said this before. Uh, Facebook is going to be moving closer and closer to being less about the personal profile and more about messaging. And did you guys see this past week the the change in uh, the Facebook app? On your phone? Well, you didn't, Christine. It looks there. Yeah, it looks different. It looks like Messenger. They're actually getting it closer and closer to what Messenger looks like. So I, I've been saying this for about a year or so. I, I teach social media at a couple of schools around town, and I've been talking about this the last year. And here they are right on schedule, making the actual core app look more like their messaging app as we step into this space. So who knows? Maybe this won't even be an issue at all as we move away from the personal profile. And, you know, these zombie profiles no longer exist. Well, uh, Callie, our uh, editor-in-chief uh, over at Get Connected, she's actually memorialized uh, some of uh, her friends mm-hmm. and family that have passed away. So uh, there are mechanisms for it, but uh, in some cases, if you haven't got that set up, it could be difficult. It is, yeah. Uh, let's talk about porn. Okay. Uh, Christina's favorite topic. Uh, and this is going to be difficult, uh, but you're okay because you don't live in the UK. Uh, over in the UK, there's a new porn law that goes into effect uh, as of uh, July 15th. Uh, as part of the Digital Economy Act, and uh, basically, uh, under the Act, websites hosting pornography will be required to stop UK users from accessing accessing pictures, video, and text unless they can prove they are over eighteen. I really think that they're going to get a ton of compliance from those like small porn sites in like Latvia. <laughs> this is just not going to happen. Uh, yeah, so I, you know, I don't know how exactly go- they're going to do this, but there's. Uh, all sorts of, uh, I guess, suggestions. They are even talking about uh, setting up certificates. You go down to a shop, uh, get verified there, and then you can get a certificate with a number that you can then go back to your computer and check out the porn sites. Good morning. I'm here for my porn certificate. Yes, I want to prove that I'm over the age of 18. Where do I go? Okay, a couple things there. I don't know how if that's how that would go down. That's the worst English accent I've heard in a long, long time. Um, but, uh, you know, they're going to have to verify their email address uh, and, and an age verification option from third-party providers uh, using things like texting, credit cards, passports, or a driver's license. A spokesperson for Age ID explains. This will truly solve all of England's porn problems because I'm sure they are myriad. Like, you guys have Brexit to solve and this is what you're at? How would you feel about this? I know you uh, consume a lot of online porn, Christina. <laughs> that was, it's not even funny, actually. Well, Graham is laughing. like rolling on the floor laughing right now. <laughs> you know what? I, I, I kid because I don't think Christina's ever seen an online porn site in her life. <laughs> I'm going to stay out of this. You know what? I, I just, I'm not sure this is going to solve their problem. Like, like Graham is saying, I think that uh, the people who really want to access it, who are underage, are going to find a way, uh, just like they did when there was that dark section of the video stores that we would frequent. <laughs> Sorry, you would frequent? Well, no, all all video stores, all all of the rental places used to have that dark room. I believe right? it had the velvet curtain was yeah, the thing. Exactly. What's behind so, the velvet curtain? Um, even though. People weren't allowed back there. They somehow managed to get their hands on the content. So <laughs> I'm fairly confident this will work the okay, same way. Let's, let's move on from porn to uh, Airbnb and, and the Marriott. Yes. That's just such a natural segue right it, it there. It certainly is. Uh, so Airbnb, huge. They've obviously taken a big bite out of hotel uh, revenue around the world. Uh, and I use Airbnb a lot myself. I just yeah. love the convenience. 
Uh, and, you know, the unique experiences you get from, you know, checking out other people's homes and condos and stuff. I like staying in really cool places. I think I mentioned this one to you that I stayed in Austin at one point. It was like a compound. It had an adult jungle gym with like a like a fire pole and tires to climb up. And okay, there's the tie back to the barn. Okay, that's okay, a, it, was, okay. wasn't, it wasn't an ad. Well, Graham, I mean, it that's, a, been. that's a, a strip bar. It, <laughs> I don't know if you've been around. They did much. have a really high fence around it. Yeah, oh, missed opportunity there. Anyway, yeah. carry on. Uh, so the Marriott uh, Group is uh, looking getting into the home rental market as well uh, to go up against companies like Airbnb. Uh, they've got a new program called Homes and Villas by Marriott International. Very catchy title, uh, and they will be offering a wide range of uh, different types of homes. Hey, honey. Could you book us a room on homes and villas by Marriott Internet? Like, really, guys? That one really rolled off the tongue. Not really. It's no. snappy. Yes. I like it. <laughs> uh, they um, will be offering Marriott points, which I think might be appealing to people. Yeah. Right? Because a lot of people like collecting points for hotels and airlines and things like that. Uh, the rooms will be starting uh, anywhere from around $200 up to $10,000 a night, depending on whether you get, like, a room a condo or a uh, a castle, I guess. I, see, I was I was cruising through uh, Louisiana, and I stayed in a little town called Lafayette. And the room that I stayed in was sixty bucks for the night, and it was really I just need a place to stop over. Well, you know what, Airbnb's got that covered. Yep. When we come back from the break, uh, we're going to be talking about the Oscars and should companies like Netflix be able to qualify with their movies, even though they don't really put their movies in theaters for that long. You're listening to the App Show here on the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. I want to talk about uh, movies now in the digital age. Uh, you know, in the past, when we wanted to go see a movie, we went to the movie theater. Uh, well, the Oscars uh, are uh, a big judge of what the best movies uh, out there are. And, of course, the streaming services like the Netflixes, the Hulus uh, of the world uh, are uh, trying to get the films that they finance uh, and show on their streaming services in for Oscar uh, consideration. But uh, there's one strong voice out there that says that shouldn't be so. Mr. Steven Spielberg, obviously one of the most iconic directors and filmmakers uh, in our time. What's it all about? Will he get his way? Let's uh, get our good friend Bryson Massey from MobileSyrup.com on the line here to uh, tell us more. Thanks for joining us, Bryson. Thank you. So this is kind of interesting. Uh, this is a, a story that uh, we talked about uh, on the program back a, a few months ago. Uh, Spielberg basically saying that, uh, you know, to be considered for an Oscar, you need to be in the theater for, uh, you know, a certain period of time. And he says that uh, companies like Netflix uh, and other streaming services are kind of skirting uh, those, uh, those rules. Uh, what, what's, uh, what's the story happening now? Absolutely. So it turns out the Academy actually agrees with Spielberg on this one. And, and they have come to the conclusion that yes, it should, the, the, any movie to qualify for an Academy Award should uh, be, be shown in a theater. But it, all they will need going forward per a, uh, a recent uh, announcement from the, the Academy is just a seven day theatrical run in LA. And um, at that point, uh, I believe on the first day, uh, it can be streamed to a streaming platform and still be eligible to be considered for Academy Awards. And so he, we are going to get some theater time. Anything that, that gets shown at the Academy Awards will air in a, or will show in a theater, but um, it can't stream at the same time. Now, uh, Spielberg, Spielberg has come out to say that uh, 
<laughs> he, he didn't expect the uh, the whole thing to blow up as much as he did. And uh, I believe the New York Times reports that uh, using using anonymous sources that uh, he didn't understand why it was such a big deal. But eventually he did come out with a statement which explained that, uh, I, in his words, I want people to find their entertainment in any form or fashion, some big screen, small screen. But he feels that people should have the opportunity to leave the safe, in his words again, safe and familiar uh, of their lives to go to a place uh, where they can sit in the company of others and have a shared experience, cry together, laugh together, be afraid together. Uh, so then when it's over, they might feel a little less strange. But that's, that's, not a, that's not a bad attitude to have, and that's what makes going to the theater fun. But uh, to, to cut out Netflix films entirely, as we've seen, they can have some pretty high quality, like, like the Roma film that was uh, eligible this year for, uh, and, and, and placed quite well in the, uh, the awards. It's it's kind of interesting, you know. Obviously, Steven Spielberg uh, is is a purist uh, at heart, and you know, in many ways, I I I agree with uh, you know his his stance on it. But it, it's challenging, uh, you know. Digital uh, technology has really changed so many aspects of our lives and uh, the way we consume content uh, and and create content. You know, we've seen with music, uh, basically, you know, within the span of a decade, go from you know physical media such as uh, records, tapes, uh, CDs into a pure digital format, and you know the industry struggling uh, with that. Uh, and you know, I think we're kind of seeing that uh, with uh, TV shows and and movies now. And you know, where the money is is in these streaming services. Uh, you know, we have Netflix, which is kind of the uh, the big uh, gorilla. In, uh, in that field, uh, but all the other companies like Disney, uh, CBS, uh, you know, most of the major studios, they want to launch their own streaming services as well. So that's where the money is going to make this content. So, uh, you know, I wonder if the Oscars uh, or the Academy there will change their position over the next five to 10 years, you know, really requiring a the- theatrical run, even like, uh, you know, that token uh, seven day run, which is kind of bogus anyway, in my, th- in my opinion. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, I can definitely see them them shifting towards and and uh, towards more uh, uh, digital content. As we can see, the content move itself uh, to more exclusive venues. You, you, there's only certain, like in the United States, the, the Star Trek show is only on the CBS. Uh, the latest Star Trek show is only on the CBS streaming service, and as we as the, the the technology grows or or keeps growing huge already um i could definitely see that uh the requirement disappearing one day and we might even get i guess i guess they finally started streaming the show you don't need to to worry about watching even the the oscars themselves on cable these days with i believe again cbs offering the uh the stream of the show over their platform and um what'll be interesting is, is if they uh end up paying the same rates here in Canada as, as our local content producers do. And, uh, and uh, that's a big fight that's happening right now as we speak. Yeah, that, that is interesting. Do you think we're going to see, uh, you know, what some people call cultural imperialism from, uh, from these big providers like the Netflixes? And, you know, pretty well all of them are coming out of the U.S. I know we've got Crave TV here in Canada, but they're just basically – taking HBO shows uh, and, and, you know, re recasting them uh, online. Definitely. But I think we have a secret weapon here to, to push back against this 
uh, almighty force that is the American cultural juggernaut, if I can say that. But it's just that Canadian shows, believe it or not, end up being pretty good. And the, the ones that are good, uh, like, like Dits Creek, for example, get the, get in the, uh, American cultural milieu as well and, and get recognized as being really unique, really creative and fantastic shows to watch. Even in the United States, I see, uh, Shit's Creek, uh, gift all over the place, all over the internet. It's, it's really embraced there. I agree, but they're kind of almost the exception to the rule. I mean, there's only a handful of, uh, you know, Canadian shows or movies that you could really point to that, uh, you know, kind of compete, you know, in the American market and globally uh, as well. I mean, uh, there is a an immense amount of money being poured in in the U.S. I mean, it's going to be a golden time for TV shows and movies over the next 10 years uh, because of all the competition uh, for all these companies trying to get their own streaming channels uh, to, to grow. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm wondering if that will uh, have a negative uh, impact on Canadian content. Well, it's tough. I think it's really hard to predict because maybe the creation of, Television shows and movies are is a bit of a zero sum game in the sense it's not there's not an unlimited amount of money for everyone, but we're also benefiting here in Canada a lot because a lot of the filming is done here and a lot of the production is done here. And I believe the numbers on the filming and production revenue are through the roof recently, right now. And so there is definitely some anxiety on the Canadian content production side of the the. the producers and and uh, media companies located here are looking at that going well how are how are we going to get our slice of the pie but at the end of the day the the film industry in total uh on on both sides in, in toronto and vancouver and uh, in quebec uh are, are through the roof right now and and uh really really doing well well, we kind of veered off the Oscar topic there, but, uh, you know, uh, again, my prediction, five to ten years uh, from now, uh, the Academy uh, will not require theatrical runs uh, for movies. Bryson, I want to thank you for joining us. No problem at all. Thank you again. That was our good friend Bryson Massey from MobileSyrup.com. If you haven't had a chance to check their website out, uh, you really have to. It's got all the greatest uh, and latest news, tips, and tricks about the uh, the mobile industry. I visit it uh, daily multiple times. You are back with the App Show. We still have a lot more to talk about on today's uh, program, uh, including uh, finding out uh, about the uh, the new uh, OnePlus 7 and Pixel 3a. We've got Igor Bonifacic on from Mobile Syrup to tell us all about it. Uh, before we get to our Hot 5 app countdown, uh, it's that time for our iPhone tip of the week. What do you got, Graham? So our iPhone tip of the week is actually a really cool one involving Do Not Disturb. Right, so do not disturb is a really handy function where if you pull down into control center, top right hand corner, pull down from there, you'll see the moon. You click on that moon and it will turn on do not disturb. So it prevents alerts from going through and any calls from people that aren't in your VIP list. Handy, right? Yeah. So there's actually a really neat feature where if you 3D touch on phones that have 3D touch, if you, if you press a little harder on that moon, you'll actually get advanced do not disturb options. Okay. Right? And so what it will do is it will give you the option of turning on do not disturb for just one hour, uh, until evening, until I leave this location, or until uh, I am done with a certain calendar event, or when I leave a certain area. Hmm. So this is kind of neat. I went to go see uh, Avengers Endgame last week. Yeah. And I actually had the calendar event in my phone until just past the end of the movie. 
And so what I was able to do was turn on Do Not Disturb until just past that, and I didn't have to worry about the movie being interrupted by phone calls or text messages unless they were an absolute emergency. So really handy 3D touch on the Do Not Disturb icon to get advanced Do Not Disturb notifications. That was your iPhone tip of the week. I love that one. Uh, Now it's that time. The Weekly App Hot 5. This week, we're uh, all about gaming, and uh, the Hot 5 is Hot 5 Mobile Games. And we're going to start off uh, number five, Speedrunners for iOS. So Speedrunners, this is a really cool game. It's a slick, fast-flowing indie game, and it's come from PC onto iOS. Uh, This is all about outrunning your opponents by sprinting, jumping, getting power-ups, and swinging a grappling rope. It's a little like Spider-Man's, you know, web spinners. Uh, so it doesn't quite control as fluidly as the PC version of the game, but its pace and the visual style is absolutely beautiful. And it also supports online player versus player. So it's a really cool way to compete while you're on the go. Love it. Uh, number four on our Hot 5 uh, countdown this week, we're talking about Hot 5 mobile apps. We've got Rush Rally 3. This is uh, available for uh, not only iOS, but Android as well. This is one of the most beloved mobile racing games, and it returns in style with a blistering 60 frames per second performance, running some of the best graphics on mobile. Rush Rally 3 is a great way to enjoy the dirt and drifts of its uh, motorsport. There are dozens of stages, uh, an in-depth career mode, and impressive physics engine that capture every bump and dent your car takes. Online leaderboards and head-to-head races make it great for competing against your friends too. Finally, there's something to be said for a game that asks for a price up front and doesn't mess around with in-app purchases. Mm. Love that. Uh, Number, I think, three on the Hot uh, 5 app countdown this week, uh, Graham. Uh, We've got... uh, Cultist Simulator. Cultist Simulator. So this is available for iOS and for Android, and it is a a PC card game that has been brought to mobile, and it puts you in charge of a Lovecraftian-style cult. So basically, the the, the art and writing of H.P. Lovecraft brought to life in a game where you uh, basically go through this compelling Victorian adventure that's presented through cards. Now, your character attempts to juggle the occult with their own sanity, which is a pretty common theme in Lovecraftian stuff. So you go down a weird rabbit hole of side quests and wonderful writing as you try to survive and thrive in this weird world of cosmic horror. There's tons of card combinations, and it makes uh, the permadeath playthrough a new and spooky journey. So basically, you get as far as you go, you die, you start again. Uh, I'm going to get you uh, to uh, give us uh, the number two Hot 5 mobile game app, uh, Elder Scrolls Blades. Now, I've talked about this one before. I absolutely love this, and it's actually getting better and better as time goes on. There's a brand new control scheme in this one. So this is uh, the Elder Scrolls Saga, which has started many, many years ago. And this is the mobile version of, well, the mobile debut for this series. Um, You don't get to do all of the stuff that you do in, say, for example, Elder Scrolls V Skyrim, uh, but you get some really cool things. Things like, you know, picking flowers, cracking mud crab shells, uh, and it's got a bit of a really neat thing where you go delving in dungeons. So you can crack open chests and all sorts of stuff, killing skeletons and whatnot. So great graphics, a really cool atmosphere. Um, it's a dungeon crawler, so you level up with uh, new armor, new weapons, and uh, it's got some really cool moment-to-moment gameplay. So you start off fighting goblins and go on to fight on some uh, pretty powerful things. I will say that uh, there are some paywalls that sneak up for some of the treasure chests. Now, you can play this game without paying anything, but if you do want to advance more quickly, you're going to throw some money at it. So for the impatient gamer out there, yes, you can game the system. Yeah, and so one of the things that I like is I tend to, just as soon as I hit a paywall, turn the game off and do something else. Yes. And wait for that timer to tick down, 
and then I go back to playing it when it's ready for me. Okay, so uh, the number one hot five mobile game app, and you know, we picked five. There's like literally hundreds of great games out there, but this one kind of caught our attention. It's called Photographs, uh, available for iOS and coming to Android soon. Uh, you Must Build a Boat was one of the most uh, frantic tapper games ever released on mobile platforms. But with photographs, developer 88 Games is going for something a little more poignant. Uh, this story-led puzzle game's got a lovely visual style and soundtrack depicting five stories that chart the highs and lows of a lovable rural family. Despite its endearing aesthetic uh, as you take photos and solve a wide variety of puzzles, it's a tough game. And despite that, it manages to tug at the heartstrings with some elegant storytelling. I don't know if you've tried that one yet. I've not. No, no I'm going to give it a go. It's fun. Yeah. So we uh, still have uh, a lot to talk about. Uh, we will be chatting with uh, Igor Bonifacic uh, about some uh, new phones uh, hitting the market, Android phones, uh, OnePlus 7 and uh, the new Pixel 3a. A lot of people love the Pixel. This is a, a cheaper version of the Pixel 3. Interesting. Still great camera. Yep. Not as fast. But I think people care more about the cameras now, don't you? I think so, yeah. And I mean, the, the software that comes in with those Pixel devices is quite good. So I've heard a lot of people talking about it. When we come back from the break, we'll learn more about those. Uh, and of course, later on in the hour, we'll get our uh, travel app of the week as well. Stay tuned here for the App Show on the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. You are back with the App Show. Mike Agarbo here in studio. I want to talk about uh, some new upcoming phones that uh, a few people are excited about. Uh, one from uh, the OnePlus folks and one new one from Google. On the line, we've got our phone expert. His name is Igor Bonifacic from MobileSyrup.com. Thanks for joining us, Igor. Thanks for having me again. Let's uh, Before we talk about the Pixel, let's talk about the OnePlus 7. And for the listeners out there that might not know who OnePlus is, give them the lowdown on that first. Yeah, so OnePlus is a relatively new company out of China. They've been around for about five years. They um, gained some notoriety uh, a couple of years ago when they had an invite-only program where you had to get an invite from a friend or a company to buy one of their phones. Uh, they've since expanded, and now in the U.S. anyway, they're available through T-Mobile as well as online. And essentially their whole uh, gimmick is they try to make phones that um, have, for the most part, specs that are either equivalent to or better than the kind of current crop of flagship smartphones that come out from the likes of Samsung uh, for a quote-unquote reasonable price. Uh, I say quote-unquote just because they've gone done this thing where each subsequent phone has cost more than the last one. <laughs> and so quickly, OnePlus phones are coming to cost just as much as their competitors, um, although they're still good stuff. So that's OnePlus. Well, that's, uh, that's interesting. Uh, yeah, I, I remember when OnePlus uh, first kind of hit my radar, uh, to, you know, with the invite-only uh, availability of, of the phones. The pricing was uh, really competitive, uh, but you're saying they're, they're basically, you know, putting flagship uh, uh, components into their phones now, and the pricing is kind of up there with the Samsungs uh, of the world. No, you still get, like, totally still get them at a discount. So yeah. um, if I can, I'm just, uh, this is terrible radio, I know, but I'm pulling up the OnePlus website, and you can get the their uh, base model for the OnePlus 60, their most recent model, is uh, 719. Okay. So that, you know, for, like, the other thing I should mention is, in Canada anyway, you can't get one of these phones through a carrier contract. So that kind of, while they do have, the outright price is better than uh, most phones currently on the market. Um, you don't have that accessibility of, you know, paying it month on month on a tab through Cuda or Telus, right? So um, 
that kind of makes them less accessible at the same time. Um, yeah. So who would be interested in this kind of phone? Yeah, so OnePlus has really, you know, done a good job of kind of um, advertising and uh, pushing towards the Android uh, kind of diehards, the ones who are the spec heads, you know, they're the ones who can rattle off all, you know, what, what kind of chipset this phone has, how much RAM it has, how much internal storage it has. Um, that's really who this, um, uh, these phones are marketed to. That said, you know, there's still great value, even if you don't know much about phones. Um, you can appreciate the value of just like being able to move from contract to contract. That really is like one of the beauty of buying a phone outright is you're not tied to a plan. And with this, uh, you know, you get uh, what is, I think, for the price, a really great phone. Let's move on to uh, the Google Pixel. Uh, Pixel has been uh, a popular uh, phone for the uh, the geeks out there uh, again. Uh, this is, uh, I guess, a variation of their Pixel 3, the Pixel 3a. What are we looking at? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the Pixel 3a is essentially, it's going to come out, um, we're hoping at about like half the price of the current Pixel. Uh, and the Pixel 3 starts at $999 in Canada. And then you have the Pixel XL, which is the larger version. And I believe it, it's at $1129. Um, and essentially, the big promise here is that it's going to, you know, have some uh, less stronger internals, some like uh, not as good of a chipset, but you're going to get the same great camera. And um, if you haven't been following this kind of the scene recently, Google makes some of the best smartphone cameras. Like it's really incredible what they're able to do with very little. Um, whereas a lot of phones these days, you know, they feature three, four, and sometimes even five cameras. The Pixel Three has one main camera and it's able to take incredible photos, especially at night. Like that is one of, you know, the things I'm consistently amazed as a Pixel 3 user is taking photos at night. You can get such crystal clear and sharp detail. Yeah, I have to agree there. The uh, the, the Pixel 3 camera has been uh, amazing. And, uh, you know, coming out with this phone at, uh, you know, a much lower price, I, I think that most people... Uh, will probably just be interested in the camera. They don't probably care as much about the processor and everything inside uh, the phone itself. Mm-hmm. No, totally. Like for most people, their smartphone is their camera, right? And it's like that is the main selling point. So I can see, you know, if Google prices this aggressively enough, I can also see this being very appealing to parents, right? As, as a, like a relatively affordable phone that they can buy for their kids, whether, you know, they're teenagers are going off to university. Um, but then even anyone can really just appreciate a great, great camera. Uh, and then with Google, you also get like a really great software experience, right? They, because they are, you know, the company that makes Android, they're able to really furnish their phones with the latest software so that, you know, that is both great from a kind of usability standpoint, you get the latest features, but also from a security standpoint, you know, they're consistently working to make Android as secure as possible. We're talking with our good friend Igor Bonifacic from MobileSyrup.com. Fantastic website for uh, anything mobile-related. you got to check it out. Igor, thanks for joining us. Thanks, uh, thanks for having me. When we come back from the break, we still have a lot more apps to talk about here on the App Show. Stay tuned. You're back with the App Show. Mike, Graham, and Christina here. We've uh, got a little, a little bit of time left. Before we get to our travel app of the week, uh, let's just talk about Google quickly. And I found this is a fantastic story uh, for privacy. Uh, Google will now let users auto delete location history and activity data. And I think this is important because 
Everyone uses Google. I use it like 100 times a day, and it's tracking everything. It really is. And it's one of those things where when you actually go to a place and then you see it pop up again in your location history, it feels a little creepy. And I mean, it's handy when you're you know going back and forth to work and things like that, or if you have somewhere to make a delivery to, really, really cool. But having it keep that on file for the rest of your life is very Google, and it's not very anybody else. So we've been kind of shaming Google for this for the last couple of years, and now they've listened. Uh, so you can actually uh, set it up so that you delete that manually, but you can also have it auto-delete that uh, information uh, after certain periods of time, whether that would be every three months or every 18 months, for example. Yeah. Which is kind of cool. Yeah, I think three months is reasonable. Yes. Right, three months worth of data that it can aggregate and it can get a good idea of who you are as a person. That's great. Google's needs are still met, but after three months, that data is rolled off and your privacy is preserved. I think this is a nice balance between the two. How often would you have it deleted? Every three months. Would you? Yep. Christina, how often would you have Google delete your data? As often as humanly possible. Like daily? If you can set it up option? for that. Is that an option? I don't know if that's an option or not. Are you like in the witness protection program? Is that what you're... <laughs> are, you from... buying, are you buying or searching for weird things on Google? I'm running from the law. You're running from the law. She flinches every time a siren goes by. I doubt that. She doesn't even look like she would get a parking ticket. Exactly. And that's how you know she's doing a good job. Right? Okay. Let's uh, get to our travel app of the week. What do we got, uh, Christina? We have an app that will actually help you to compare and find trains, uh, train, bus, and flight tickets in 15 European countries. I'm excited about this because I was recently in Europe and uh, we did kind of uh, a trip through a bunch of different countries and it was kind of difficult to compare uh, whether it was cheaper, more convenient to do like a, uh, a train or a plane between them. Yeah, and you have to visit so many sites to do all of this because, of course, um, there's no continuity between the countries in many cases. No. And so this actually puts it all into one app so you can do all that comparison shopping right in the app and purchase the tickets and you've got mobile tickets as I l- well. I like that. I like that. And it does buses as well. Sorry, right? Train, bus, and flight. Nice. That's kind of cool. I've done that. I actually took a bus from Berlin to Amsterdam and then took the train back because I'd managed to actually go and do all of this research. But it took me probably a good hour to find the best price. Well, you know, that's kind of the exciting thing about uh, Europe. They've got a lot of transportation options. Yeah. Unlike here. It's either you're driving or you're taking a plane. Well, I, I think I, I, I looked at it and when I went to go talk to the people at Via Rail and they had a mortgage officer beside the guy, I was like, you know, maybe I'll just fly. Yeah. Trains aren't an option here. No. No. Which is weird because the country was built based on the railroad. We could, we could use more trains, more economical trains for cross-country travel. Uh, the app name again? It's called Omeo, and it's available on iOS. Very cool. So if you're traveling to Europe, definitely uh, an app to check out, especially for iPhone users, because Android, I guess you're out of luck. Uh, that's all the time we have left. Don't forget to check out our podcasts. Uh, of course, the app show is available uh, on Google Play, Spotify, iTunes, but also our sister show, Get Connected. That's right. So if you do want to take a look for us, search for those two names, Get Connected and The App Show. Uh, give us a subscribe. And if you like us, give us a review. If you don't, go do something else. <laughs> don't review us. Uh, that's all the time we have left. Uh, I want to thank Christina and Graham for helping put the show together and hosting it, of course. This is Mike Graham and Christina signing off. We will see you again next time.
You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at cknw.com, the Radio Player Canada app, Tune in Amazon Alexa, HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW.